0: All right, what's up, everybody? This is Zach with another episode of EM Weekly. This week, we're going to talk about the top ten skills for responders, uh, and I'm talking about emergency managers. I'm talking about first responders. Like, this is just skill sets that I think will set you up for success. Honestly, this is stuff that's like been pretty uh, helpful in my general life, um, and has also made me like pretty flexible and able to. Uh, adapt to different situations, and honestly probably got me uh, all of the jobs that I've gotten. So without further ado, uh, we will get into this, but actually no, with ado first, Um, we want to thank our sponsors. Uh, We'll just go ahead and play those clips real fast. Uh, Please like, subscribe, comment, uh, give five stars, uh, all of that stuff to... uh, on YouTube, on Apple, on everything. So those, when you do that stuff, um, you help out uh, us by feeding the algorithm and uh, share it. If you find this useful or informative, please share it. Uh, also, uh, we have swag. This is uh, the I'm I am Disaster Ready uh, t-shirt and I think it's called Army Green. Uh, you should check out our swag. Uh, and I'm also rocking my University of Vermont, uh, you know, Go Cats Go. They got uh, into the tournament again this year after winning America East, uh, go Cats, go. Uh, and so now we're going to we're gonna go into our sponsors and then we will, without further ado, but ado for right now. Be right back. How do you spell Doberman Emergency Management? EOP, OEP, HVA, HMP, Thyra, TTX, Drone, PDA. Whenever you need an expert, Doberman Emergency Management field experts are there for support. Contact an expert at DobermanEMG.com today. Instinct Ready kits are awesome, compact, fully loaded, and easy to place around your office, school, campus, warehouse, wherever. I keep a quick pack in my vehicle and one at home. Imagine Instinct Ready fully loaded Stop the bleed kits in every school and office. Get Instinct Ready kits and training at InstinctReady.com. Okay, we're back. Uh, Again, please like subscribe, do all that stuff. Uh, Buy some stuff. Um, Okay. Uh, So one of the things that I'm constantly asked... um, particularly by younger, uh, emergency managers coming into the field is what kind of skills do they need? Um, and the sort of like automatic response, I think for a lot of folks is to tell them to go get a degree in emergency management or take tons of training and all this stuff. Um, not terrible advice, obviously, like you want to have a background, uh, in, you know, the, the field that you're responding to, uh, you're going to respond in. Um, so for instance, if you're a firefighter and you want to be a professional firefighter, like having some knowledge of firefighting is probably good. Um, but you also can learn a lot of that stuff sort of on the job, but there's like some more broad skills that I think are, are very helpful. And I'll caveat that with like, um, one of these, uh, top 10 skills will specifically say like, you need to be like an expert in some stuff. So, um, but in general, these are sort of like the skills that I think are the most valuable across the board. So we'll start with number 10. Uh, I tried to choose as many, uh, either goofy stock photos or uh, funny memes to communicate this, but networking, I wish this was something someone had told me, uh, when I very, very, very first started getting into this field, you are going to have to network. Um, honestly, being an emergency manager is being a networker. Like you can't do this job without, uh, being in a network. Uh, for instance, uh, the emergency management assistance compact, that is a network of emergency management agencies and, and resources that are willing to share their stuff. Um, you know, the, the cliche don't exchange business cards, uh, in the middle of a storm, uh, which is true. Um, honestly, like don't exchange business cards. I lose business cards all the time. Please just like send me a little like digital business card or, you know, email me and text me right off the bat. I'm not very good at keeping business cards. Although I found a pile of them from an IEM conference, like that must've been four or five years ago, uh, that I did say for some reason, uh, but I just found them like two weeks ago. So sorry to the like 50 people I took your cards from. Uh, I was probably just trying to get some free swag from your table. Um, But the network, uh, you know, make friends. uh, And the networking has been so powerful for me um, for numerous reasons. One is uh, I have someone I can call for almost any situation. You know, like I'm dealing with a need to plan for some disaster that I've never experienced and don't have sort of a a good knowledge base in. If I don't know it, I I know someone who does. you know, have your, have your, your person, um, you know, I, I do this, not just in like emergency management in my first response life, um, having a good network in real life is also very helpful. Um, you know, you need to fix something on your lawnmower and you don't have the tool, know the person who has the tool. If you're not going to go out and buy the tool. So network, 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 it is really that important. Um, some ways that you can get good at it, uh, go to conferences, uh, some of it is like, you just kind of have to learn one, one thing that I learned, uh, is that, um, I am not as important or, uh, like people, people will forget me. <laughs> like, it's okay. If you make a bad impression, uh, you know, people, I hate that saying like first impressions are everything that is absolute nonsense. Uh, I meet tons and tons of people and I, you know, unless they absolutely blew me away on their first impression or just were so awful that I remembered, I don't ever want to talk to them again. Uh, first impressions are not that important. It's much more better to sort of just show up. Um, and show up often. So as you start to, uh, go to more conferences and go to more trainings, your network's going to just sort of naturally grow. And as you get better at the job and you get better at sort of communicating and sharing the information and knowledge that you have, um, and responding to disasters, um, the network also grows. If you're out in the field, like when you have sort of that shared, um, experience of misery, uh, you know, camping in, or, you know, not camping, but sleeping in tents. And I mean, essentially camping, um, you know, not showering for a couple of days, just, you know, living in the muck and the mud, uh, you tend to make, uh, relationships really quickly. Um, so network number 10 now coming in at number nine, uh, be an entrepreneur. Um, I have been part of, uh, I started a, an emergency management agency i was the first and only full-time emergency manager there and i had a pretty small budget and i needed to get stuff and do stuff so i had to become an entrepreneur um, and why i say entrepreneur is like i uh, i actually wrote a policy paper on how entrepreneurs would probably be really really good emergency managers um, they're used to being uh, resource scarce uh, they have to be good at networking Um, they have to sort of be passionate about the, uh, the job so much so that even when it really, really sucks, uh, you show up the next day and continue to work at it. Uh, and when, you know, everything's sort of beating you down, uh, that you can figure it out and get yourself back up. So I think entrepreneurship is actually a really good sort of, uh, analog, you know, skill set to emergency management. This could almost be number one because it like just, kind of intertwines into a lot of the experience and stuff that you're going to have to, to build up over time. Um, being an entrepreneur, like trying to find money, you know, we're not going to, uh, VCs to, to try to get some investors. What we're doing is probably going to granting agencies and, um, you know, it's almost a harder job. Like there's no shark tank for emergency management and maybe there should be. Um, but you know, there's a lot of times where I had these really really good ideas or stuff that I recognized we had to accomplish and there just was there's no way we could afford it. Like we just, you know, radios for instance, radios are so expensive. Uh one thing I ran into is we had this uh, very large event every year and it was right it was surrounded by roads and we had basically no blocking. We used to put like golf carts and like pickup trucks, but um there was a period of time like I don't know, eight years ago, uh, where people were using vehicles as weapons. Like it was all of a sudden, everything, like people were running into crowds. They were driving on sidewalks, hitting people. It was just like, all of a sudden everyone was like attacking each other with vehicles. And then there's just like the accident, you know, someone accidentally steps on the gas or has a medical emergency and just plows through a crowd. That was what we were primarily worried about. Um, and we needed, uh, a, like vehicle barrier systems. So I was like, how are we going to do this? And I looked around and there was a lot of really good ones. Um, but they were designed for like large, large cities that have basically unlimited budgets they are just so expensive, but they work really, really well. And so I just had to get creative and figure out different ways to find funding. And I had to use like grant resources that I didn't even know existed. Um, got the funding and, and was able to do it. And actually it's been used, uh, not just for the agency that hosted it, but also, uh, some partner agencies that needed it. So that was really cool. So be an entrepreneur, come up with creative ways. Like, and the other thing is like, again, you're, especially, uh, for single person shops with no budget, um, you're going to have to get creative. Uh, do you have a radio, you know, like, do you have any way to communicate with the other agencies that you need to communicate with? Um, if not, how do you come up with one? Like they're very expensive. Like a good multiband radio is like $10,000. Um, so what else can you do? Uh, you could beg the fire department or police department to give you some radios, like the older reserve radios that they keep, or, you know, for, for their rookies, uh, and their new folks, uh, that are beaters, you know, just be like, Hey, listen, like, I know (laughs) these are your extras. Is there any way I could get them and in exchange, I will help you with an exercise. You know, just be flexible, be knowledgeable and like sort of how to uh, adapt yourself to uh, situations that, you know, you may not know. Like how do you build an EOC? Like I think a lot of people just have these visions of these giant, beautiful EOCs with huge video walls, radios, you know, everyone's got a workstation. Um, but for most people, a, uh, the, the executive conference room, uh, for the government, you know, the government offices, whether it's a mayor or governor or something, you know, c- can work like you just need some basic stuff. Um, and you have to be kind of thrifty. Uh, you know, again, I, I got a whole bunch of communication equipment equipment from an IT department. I knew the IT folks really well. I treated them really well. I worked with them all the time. They liked me. I liked them. And so I kind of just, begged them for stuff and they gave it to me. And so I was able to build this really cool, like uh, my mobile EOC, which was really just an SUV. I had everything I needed to set up an EOC in any single space that I needed. Um, so again, just be an entrepreneur, be resourceful, um, adapt, overcome Excel. Uh, that's like, you know, my mantra in everything. Number eight, don't wing the important stuff. Like you're going to have to be an expert sometimes. Um, And what I mean by be an expert is like, uh, (laughs) if you're an emergency manager or a first responder, whatever your specific field is, you need to know enough that in the midst of an emergency, uh, you don't have to learn it. Um, So those are some like basic skills. Like that could be uh, understanding how to sort of build the incident command system. It could be some like project management stuff. It could be, Uh, You know, maybe your area of expertise is planning, like you need to be a planning expert. So I don't think you need to be an expert in everything, um, but whatever your sort of like specialty lane is, um, you need to be very, very good at that because uh, especially as incidents grow, you know, at first you're going to have to do lots and lots of stuff, but as more help shows up, you're going to kind of find your lane and um, you need to sort of like figure out what that lane is. Um, and I think there's opportunities in that to sort of figure out what you want to be an expert in. I've sort of fallen into a few different areas of expertise. Um, radios, like communications, a hundred percent. Like, I, I don't know if I'm an expert expert in the sense like, if I were to talk to probably some of the people who are listening to this podcast, they're probably going to be like, uh, you know, basically radio engineers. Like there's some radio people for some reason are just like so smart on radios. Like it is a incredibly complicated and complex, um, you know, uh, area of expertise, I guess. Um, you can just, there's, you know, you can get in the weeds in a lot of different stuff, but like radios, you can get really, really into the weeds. So, but I think I'm an expert enough that like, I can navigate 90% of like what I need to, uh, in the midst of a disaster. Um so I often fall into a either radio support role or some sort of quasi radio communications. Public information was another thing. Uh I just uh sort of got good at uh, got good at speaking. Um and uh you know my my English is is gooder and my grammar is goodest. And um so you know I kind of found myself into PIO stuff largely because I really was an early adopter of social media and um sort of emerging communication uh techniques. Um I have a TikTok. Uh it's really stupid and um a lot of the stuff is dumb, but uh you know I know that that is something that a lot of people communicate on. So if you're an emergency manager and you don't know what TikTok is or you've never uh used it, uh, I know it's probably mostly uh for spying on us, um but it is also where hundreds of millions of people communicate every single day and in a disaster you might need to lean into that. I was very early on in the Twitter uh so we had the uh, VOAD, or not VOADs, um, oh gosh, what do we call those? Uh, pff, oh, <laughs> it's been so long. We had like a hashtag uh, for <laughs> social media. Social media, it was like S-M-E-M, I think it was S, social media in emergency management. Hashtag S-M-E-M. Uh, this is, uh, I mean like 15 years ago or something, I can uh, I can say I had the first public safety social media account in the state of Vermont. Um, and when I worked, uh, I went over to New York state for a little while and worked with a county over there and, um, I had them spun up on, um, social media. And I just remember the first time I talked, I did a presentation on this. They were like, dude, what are you talking about? There's no way this is, this Twitter is going to stick around. Um, and they kind of weren't wrong. Like, Twitter has sort of <laughs> fallen apart. Uh, but it lasted, it had a good run. At least, uh, I think it's like 15 years or something. It's been going strong. Uh, and so I, I was a very, very, or I'm, I tend to be an early adopter of, uh, technology. Um, and I remember like a couple of years later, I think I was in another course, uh, in a different environment. I was actually over back in Vermont and one of their, uh, the emergency managers I worked with like came over and he was like, "Oh, dude, you were so right. Like we've been doing all this stuff on social media and it's been really, really good. So, Um, you know, I'm an expert in a few different things, um, planning, uh, you know, which is really funny. I didn't think I'd be an expert in planning, but I sort of fell into that. I hated planning for the longest time. And then I realized emergency management is largely planning. And so I got on board, um, you know, the whole kind of shut up in color. Sometimes it actually can be valuable. Uh, you know, uh, when someone's like, Hey, you just have to do this and then you do it. You're like, Oh, cool. All right. This is actually useful. So I'm not saying again, don't be uh, an expert on everything. That's just impossible. Um, but find a few lanes of expertise and then try, if you can figure out like within your team or your team of teams, where the areas in need are, especially if you're a new emergency manager, if you can do something that nobody else on the team can, you are immediately elevated into the higher echelon because uh, there's always going to be someone who's like, Hey, do we have someone who's spun up on X? And if you happen to know X, guess what? You're the expert, you're the boss, you get to move into a position of power. So um, you know, don't wing the stuff that's really, really critical, be an expert in that. Um, but then also be flexible and and get around. All right. Number seven. Oh my gosh. This is like a landmine. Take care of yourself, uh, and make sure that you're taking so that you can take care of everyone else. And that is through wellness. Uh, and wellness is sort of like one of those words that's like very, um, sort of amorphous, uh, nebulous, whatever you wanna use as a the turn of phrase. Um, wellness in my, in the way that I'm talking about it, there's there's mental health, uh, there's physical health. If you're religious or, or just sort of like need some sort of like higher power or otherwise like spiritual health, like uh, you can get spiritual health through other stuff as well, but like just sort of like that moral guidance and like keeping the ship upright. Um, whatever, you know, they call this sort of like holistic wellness or or um, you know, in the military, this this is something that's really, really pushed heavily or has been recently and for a long time wasn't. Um, I got super, super burned out on a job and basically was like, I'm never working in emergency management again. I hate it. Uh I and it was because I was not taking care of myself. I worked way more hours than I should have. Uh I was sacrificing uh sleep. I was sacrificing, you know, most importantly, like time with my family. Uh, I can't even tell you how many uh, events and and stuff that I had to like leave or I was on the phone the entire time. And, you know, your kids don't understand that. Uh, your your spouse may sort of understand that, but um, it's, it's not a healthy way to live. Um, and then when we're so busy, we're not taking care of ourselves physically. Like it all sort of like compounds and then eventually like you snap. Um, and that can be Snapping in a, a simple way where, uh, you know, you kind of just are like, I quit the job. I don't want to do it anymore. Or it can be catastrophic, uh, you know, up to and including suicide. Like there are suicides in this field. There's certainly suicides um, in first response. Uh, and so you have to take care of yourself. Um, and I practice what I preach. This is not something, you know, like meditation is actually really, really helpful sometimes, like, especially, you know, I think one of the things that I think is really, really hard with wellness is that people think these results are going to happen really quickly. Uh, this stuff takes a long time, years in some cases. Um, some other stuff that I did, I had started to cut back on caffeine. You know, there's like the The drugs of an EOC, caffeine and nicotine. Like you have so many people that are just like surviving off of cigarettes and coffee. Um, I can't even tell you how many emergencies I've responded to where I'm like, have you eaten a meal? And they're like, "Uh, not in a while. Um, Sleep, sleep is incredibly important. So I started cutting back caffeine in the afternoon and I started kind of figuring out, like I didn't know how to sleep. Like I know that sounds stupid, but you could become an expert in sleep. Look it up, Google it. There's techniques, having like your room set up properly. Not drinking caffeine, you know, not drinking uh, alcohol uh, right before you go to sleep. Uh, I was a prolific mouth breather and a snorer. I didn't know this. And then I found out because my wife was like, dude, you got to fix this. And I know this sounds crazy, but look this up afterwards. I'm not crazy. Mouth taping. I have slept so much better since discovering that I could just tape my mouth shut. And I know that sounds really, really weird, but I promise you, if you look it up, Uh, you will be shocked to find out that this can have a profound effect on the amount of sleep. I didn't have dreams for years. I never slept through the night for years. I'm talking like over a decade. Um, take care of your PTSD. Like if you have, uh, you know, a lot of sort of stressors from traumatic incidents, uh, and you need to talk to someone, go do that. Um, don't put that off. That stuff does not get better with time. Um, if anything, it gets worse with time, all this stuff, like your healthcare, all of your health gets worse with time. Um, you know, I'm, I'm sort of fortunate in that, uh, I'm held to a physical standard, uh, for one of my jobs. So I have to take care of myself to degree, but it doesn't have to be complicated, you know, figure out some sort of cardio, uh, could be hit exercises. It could be running. I've been running a lot. I run like three miles, uh, every other day. Um, and then one thing that I found was like, I don't like going to the gym and I also tend not to find time to go and do full, like long exercises. I usually can run in the morning, but I can't do like lifting and stuff. So I keep weights in my office and I did this when I, this is, I work from home now, but I did this when I worked, uh, in, um, regular office jobs too. I always, I kept a kettlebell cause the kettlebell is like this very useful, like you can use it for a lot of different things. You can do cardio, it's weight, uh, you can do some flexibility stuff. It's, uh, it's dynamic movement. Um, like right now, these are fairly light, but they're just 20 pound weights. Just keep those right by you. Um, there's some psychology to this. Uh, you know, uh, one of the ways to sort of start getting into an exercise routine is to actually just put your exercise clothes at the end of your bed, uh, you know, on the floor, like set up so that when you wake up in the morning, you have to like step over it to start your day. And it's just a mental reminder, like, oh yeah, I should probably just put these shoes on and go for a run. And uh, again, really, really important to take care of yourself. Uh, this job can be very, very demanding. Um, and, uh, there's nothing that I find more depressing. And it's happened a few times in my career where you have someone who is either at like about to retire or just retired and they dropped out of a heart attack. Um, or you know whatever you know have a stroke or get you know job related cancer um because they're not taking care of themselves and that's not to put blame on them um you know there's lots of stuff that can cause that um but these folks specifically I knew had major health issues because they were not taking care of themselves and uh so yes get sleep drink tons of water eat uh good food exercise you know anything in moderation like I enjoy beer and bourbon so I'm going to have Some drinks, Um, but I've cut back a lot. I don't, we try not to drink during the week. We try to keep that uh, to the weekend Uh, and coffee. I drop. you know, coffee. Caffeine is like the number one used drug in the world. Um, And it can be a great booster. It can kind of get you through, um, you know, times when you need that little extra boost, but it's also terrible when you need to go to sleep. Um, and don't offset this stuff with like supplements and vitamins and stuff like that's great. Like you should take those if you need them, but that's not a solution to like not taking care of yourself. All right, moving on. Number six, be a critical thinker. Uh, I cannot tell you how many times, uh, we have this, like there's the sunk cost fallacy, right? Like someone who's so invested in an idea or a concept or a, a, they're going down this path that they refuse to change course. Um, and a lot of that has to do with ego. We all have ego. We also all have our own biases, uh, biases, bias, biases, bias, whatever it is. Uh, we look through stuff through our own lens and we have these like predetermined judgments on like people and things and, and ideas. Um, and that can get you into a lot of trouble. And it's, and you can course correct, right? Like that's the other thing, like being a critical thinker, use your data. Like you can trust your gut if you have nothing else to rely on but as an emergency manager or first responder now, like we are data saturated, we have so much data. Um, and so there's really no reason to be like, well, I think this is what's happening. Um, and the other thing, like, I think, well, people are like, well, my training and my experience, like I know how stuff works, that's data, right? That is actually useful data. Um, so in, in lieu of, of other data, Yes, you can use your training and experience and knowledge to certainly get through a situation, but supplement that as soon as you can. Like, um, you know, as a firefighter, like I learned to read smoke. Um, And so I got really good at sort of understanding, like, what is the situation that's going on inside this building before I got there? But I can also use a lot of like really cool tools. Like you have thermal imaging cameras, you have... Uh, you know, now there's all sorts of like, uh, environmental data, you know, points that you can collect as you're moving through a structure to figure out, you know, like what the atmosphere is like, what are what what's the temperature? Like, um, you can see through the smoke. Like there's all this really cool stuff now to make you a better firefighter. That's not to say that the firefighters back in the day who just had to, you know, the smoke eaters that had to go in and do the job, like their training and experience kept them alive. Um, but you can be much, much better at it. Same with emergency management, right? Like Know how to use weather data, know where to access this stuff, and don't be afraid to use it. In fact, uh, I think this is another area that we for for some of us, like that because there's so much data, um we sometimes take for granted that communicating that data can actually help us in our job. So for instance, um when you're trying to communicate to someone that they need to evacuate because of a major major you know uh, we'll say the atmospheric river situation that california is facing right now just rain non-stop rain whether it's a hurricane whatever um trying to explain to them using sort of raw data why they need to do this is not going to resonate one of the best public information campaigns i've ever seen the most effective way of communicating floods i've ever seen Um, I think it was like six, maybe seven years ago, uh, the Weather Channel had this, their augmented reality um, presentation where they were explaining like, hey, you need to evacuate. This storm is going to cause this much, you know, the storm surge is going to be this, plus the rain, the flooding, um, you need to leave. And they had a person standing like on a street corner and they showed the water rising up. And then they showed that when this is done, it is going to be over your head. Your house is going to be underwater. You need to leave. And um, I believe there was a research. I'm, I'm like now I'm drawing a blank. I'm pretty sure I read the re- a research paper following that. That so many people like saw that and were like, "Oh my gosh! Like this makes perfect sense." Um, and that's not just for um, you know evacuations and stuff. Like when you're going after grants, like being able to communicate. You know, you have the data, you know where your vulnerabilities are, you've done your uh, HVAs, you've done your Thyras, um, but having like a, a, a raw chart is not maybe the best way to sort of communicate this. Um, it's This is even more important when you're talking to people who aren't necessarily in the field. So when you're communicating to like your political leadership um, or, or your agency partners. You know, we have this bad habit of using, oh, I just did it. Uh, you know, your HVA, hazard vulnerability analysis. The, you know, all of these sort of like acronyms that we use. Uh, ICS, like we throw ICS around in all these conversations, but it's it's very common that, especially when I'm talking to non-emergency uh, people, that they're like, have this glaze over look like, what is ICS? Is that like an illness or something? Um, so communicating data and information in a way that is like digestible for everyone. Um Because if you're not doing that, like if you assume that everyone speaks the same language as you uh, and communicates in the same way as you and understands data in the same way as you, uh, you are going to fail. So get really, really good at visualizing data. So that means also learning how to do, uh, you know, run multimedia systems. Like, do you know how to use Photoshop? Do you know how to use Adobe Illustrator? Do you know how to do video editing? Do you know how to do audio editing? Like these are skills that are not like nice to haves anymore. You have to get spun up on this. I can promise you that in an emergency, um, if you're trying to communicate a lot of information in a very, very short period of time, like visually can be very, very uh, much more effective. Auto audio could be much more effective um, and trying to hit all of your different audiences. You're going to have people who don't speak your language. You're going to have people who have like uh, functional needs where maybe they they can't see or they can't hear or they have trouble processing information in certain ways like the more sort of ways that you can take complex information and break it down into digestible forms, uh, the better off you're going to be. I mean, honestly, that's like a million dollar skill set. Like anyone who can do that effectively, you know, again, you're right up at the top. Number four, paper is dead. Long live paper. You're going to have to get techie. I am so sick of people who are like, when it all fails, we're going back to paper. Sure. Um, I, I can't remember uh, the last disaster where I operated solely off paper. Like, it's just, it's, and I'm not saying don't have it as a backup, don't be proficient, don't be ready, but like, this is a technological industry. Um, we are, again, as we're talking about data, your uh, incident management systems can ingest crazy amounts of data streams. Um, we, you, you as a emergency manager, I'm going to tell you some skill sets you have to have, uh, in the future. Like you're just going to have to GIS, geospatial information systems, mapping. You have to get good at that. That is like everything. Um, and it's expected, you know, when FEMA is getting their, uh, damaged, you know, when you're trying to get declarations or you're trying to get reimbursement, having, Geo-referenced data, so like photos aligned with some uh, coordinates with uh, good metadata and the information attached to it that you're trying to communicate, is much better than a arbitrary picture that has you don't really know where it's at, and you say, Well, this road is damaged. Okay, where on this road is this damaged? What is this? You know, when you say your the building is destroyed you know, sure, you can do your dashboard uh, assessment and you're driving around and you're like, that building's destroyed, that building's destroyed, that building's damaged. Um, But if you can provide, uh, you know, geo-rectified aerial imagery um, or just a cell phone picture with some coordinates on it, that is light years ahead of uh, how we're really mostly currently operating. And I think by default, emergency managers kind of get lumped with all of these like peripheral skills that like aren't necessarily in the realm of like first responders. Drones started in public safety and emergency management. Like we were using them before other agencies. I think we've sort of now been surpassed, like fire departments and police departments are using drones for a lot of really cool stuff and they're very uh, proficient with it. But that also means like where we used to maybe get feeds into our EOCs of like uh, just mostly radio communications and then like a couple, you know, maybe like an update into your web EOC or something. Um, Now you can stream live video from a, uh, you know, fire department drone. Uh, Maybe it's tethered and it'll be up there all day. And that's a hugely valuable piece of information, especially in an EOC where like you're so disconnected that sometimes you can't really tell what's happening out in the field. but like understanding how all this stuff is connected and how to use it is really important. So that's great. All right. So this, uh, this, this drone will fly around. It'll, it'll send a feed, but you need to know how to access that. Is that like, uh, some sort of API from the software, uh, that, you know, we need to then connect to something else. Is it, you know, just a a address that you need to log into and then somehow figure out how to get it up on the screens. Even an EOC, a modern EOC is an incredibly technologically heavy environment. Um, we were really lucky. We got to go to Orlando, Florida's, uh, emergency operations center. We were down there. Um, and Manny, the, the emergency management director was showing us around. I mean, they're, they had cameras everywhere for every, like they could push one button based on the type of uh, event that's going on. And they'd have all the cameras that they need in that area, all the communication systems, um, you know, it was, it was, a really, really, really nice setup. Very, very clean and very thoughtful. And you could tell that he was like very proficient in all of this stuff. It made him a professional. Um, if you don't know this stuff and you're put into a, a, in a, any emergency management position, like you have to know this stuff now, it's not nice to have anymore. Like it is technology is our job. So get really, really good at it. Um, I mean, if you've ever had to work in alert and warning, like trying to understand how mass notification works, you know, how you're plugged into iPods, how the EAS and WEA uh, work within iPods, how you have to sometimes, you have to understand like throttling of phones so that you don't destroy your phone network uh, in an area, Um, you know, the bandwidth that's required to do this stuff, like all of these like pieces of data that before you took so for granted, Uh, it's yours now. Like you have to understand this stuff. Um, and everything is only going to get more complicated. Um, you know, AI, like understand AI, you want to be an expert in something, uh, figure out AI, all the resources that are available in AI chat. GPT is a godsend. I don't care what anyone says. Uh, that system is so awesome when you're just trying to like, in the middle of a situation, you're like, these are the things I'm trying to communicate. Why can't I make a sentence out of it? Um, You could be like, hey, ChatGPT, please give me a quick description of a, you know, whatever scenario based on these parameters. Um, So, you know, you know the situation you're facing, uh, you know what you're trying to communicate, but like in the middle of a disaster, sometimes like you don't have the creative bandwidth to sort of write, you know, something, a prose about, a flood threat. So use these tools. The The beauty of AI and technology is that it can also augment you. I had built up all of our technology in my last a full-time emergency management, like public sector job, to augment me. So I could hit one button. Um, based on the type of incident, um, we, we used a incident management so- software called Noggin, and I had it all programmed. So if I said that the incident was this level, and for instance, there was a fatality involved, When I click send in the back end, it was going, all right, because this incident is this level, I need to send out notifications to these folks. And then they know their assignment based on some pre-planned stuff that we did. And then because there's a fatality, I knew that these people had to be notified specifically of that. Um, And then because of like some minor scripting type stuff that's happened on the back end. Uh, it would pull information from my initial report and automatically build an email, a text message, and a phone call to them. And then I would get a response that said, hey, I'm on route or I'm unavailable or whatever. So as an emergency manager now, I basically immediately have a picture of who's coming, who's been notified, and what resources I know I'm going to be short on. The logistics guy can't make it in, so now I need to call up you know, um, my other logistics person, and she's you know, a couple towns over, so I need to plan for a little bit longer of a run. So again, use that technology uh, lean into it. It is the, it's our career, like, uh, whatever you can be a Luddite if you want to, but you're not going to last much longer in this field. If, if you don't get spun up on this stuff, it's just, it is what it is. Number three, planning, plan to plan, and then write plans about the plans you plan to plan. Um, planning is uh, honestly like, that's all we do. We have to plan like it's it and planning is a lot of different things. So Uh, I also think of planning as like the project management side. So there's, there's kind of two worlds of planning that like most emergency managers are working in. There's project management, uh, you know, trying to plan your daily tasks, trying to plan your long-term, uh, efforts, trying to plan for systems and upgrades and like how you're going to get better. Um, you know, just, just doing planning all the time. Like this is, this is the nature of the work. Um, I also sort of lump in like planning, I like assessing and like the whole sort of planning cycle in this. So like, you know, knowing how to, you know, take a area where you're unfamiliar and then familiarize yourself with it and then become really good at it. That's like a plan, right? Um, At its most basic form, you do your HVA, you write your plans, and then you build your training and exercising to sort of Figure out, do these plans work? Is everyone sort of in line with these plans? And then you start the cycle over. So, you know, just get used to planning. I hated, I used to fight this so much. And I think it's because I sort of came from a first response world where I was just so tactically driven like, go put the wet stuff on the red stuff. Like, that was like, you know, like we didn't really need to do much more planning than that. Like, fire alarm goes off, you show up in a truck, you go inside, you end that fire you go back outside, you go back to the station. Um, you know, and that's not to say there isn't tons of strategy and and everything behind that, but it's just much more tactical. Um, and in a lot of cases when you're in emergency management, you gotta be much more strategic, um, and strategic in a way that you understand the tactics, um, but that you are sort of planning for like that 30,000 foot. I think a lot of emergency managers, especially like single person shops, city, you know, local municipality type of shops, um, campuses like localized campuses you can get really really uh you sometimes can't see the forest through the trees and i think the planning process sort of helps you back out and think about these things um because if you're just constantly putting out fires whether they're figurative or literally um you can't sort of identify the other things that you're maybe letting go and we get really good at these like high probability, low consequence events. Um, and then we forget about the low probability, high consequence events. Um, and so just like keeping those things on track and that's part of your planning process. Um, I also think you should have a long-term plan, like looking out, you know, five to 10 years plan that whole uh, process because, um, by doing that, you can, uh, essentially, um, you'd put a lot of work in initially and then you kind of go in cruise control. It's all maintenance after that. Right? Like you may adjust based on like something that happens and you realize like, oops, like this is a skill set we didn't have or disaster we didn't prepare for or know that it was going to be something we'd have to uh, deal with. Um, but like, that's why a really good emergency operations plan, like a comprehensive plan, um, can drive the ship for a very long time. Um, And then you can use your annexes and, and, and other sort of like specialty, you know, tactical style plans, um, to build off of that. But like having those long-term guidance, like just something to aim for. Um, and then again, assessing, assess, assess, assess. You have to assess in order to plan. Like you can't just arbitrarily plan. That's just so terrible. It's a waste of time. And I know it happens all the time. People just run exercises we have to do a relocation exercise. Okay, have you done all of the stuff that leads up to this? Do you even know what you need to do in order to have a relocation and reunification plan? Um, you know, these are skills. This is this is part of that process. So when I say planning, I'm talking about comprehensive planning. Um, but yeah, be able to assess. You know, find a standard. I I really like NFPA uh, 1660 now. it Used to be 1600, um, but 1660 now uh, combines their emergency management uh, continuity of operations and the Asher active, uh, shooter, hostile event, um, response plans all into one guideline. Um, I just think it's like easy to, to use, um, anyone you can read it online for free, um, use it for free online. Um, I think the old one used to have an, ass- I haven't actually looked to see if there's Uh, an ass- there was an assessment matrix that you could get. I would run that a couple times a year just to see like if we're, you know, still spinning our tires or making progress. EMAP is like the golden standard. um, And I think it's really good to sort of go towards. It's the emergency management accreditation program. Um, It's just, it's a lot of work. Like most of the agencies that are EMAP accredited have someone that like basically that's part of their job is just maintaining that accreditation. But maintaining the accreditation also means like you're doing all the stuff to make sure that you can get re-accredited or get accreditation in the first time. So again, assess, plan, execute. Um I think that's enough on on number 3. Number 2, create and innovate. Um I like literally like there's there's no disaster formula um and as all the stuff that I talked about before which is like very sort of like structured, right? Like stuff that you can sort of work towards to make better, um you're going to get sideswiped at some point and just be like, "Whoops, I had no idea this was going to happen." And I it, I think for a lot of especially new emergency managers, they're like no matter what, I have to use ICS. No, you don't. You actually don't ever have to use ICS. That is, uh, it's nice because a lot of people understand it, basically. Um, it doesn't solve problems, though. ICS is a tool. It is not a solution. Um, so whatever works, uh, in some cases, you're going to have to wing it. Um, I worked a lot with nonprofits and like uh, um, like VOADs and uh, church, or- like the religious organizations that respond to disasters, and a lot of them don't use ICS at all. Right. And they're very, uh, like fluid because you may have a volunteer for a couple of days and then you have another volunteer and they might have to move spaces and people are sort of like, you know, it's, they're not full timers. So like some people, this might be their first time ever being at a disaster. Um, you have to be creative and how to use them. Um, the other thing is like going back to the entrepreneur thing, like you have to innovate, like. There's going to be times where you don't have funding or, or knowledge or experience in something you've got to figure it out. And maybe no one does, right? If no one has this, that's actually kind of cool. Like you get to be the first person, you get to set the standard from then on for this issue. Um, so I fought tooth and nail. I was like, you know what? I'm a single person shop. I need a vehicle. Like most of my stuff, I'm like, I want to be in the field. Like I know that's not emergency management one one but Uh, I needed to build a whole bunch of experience and network really, really quickly. And the best way to do that was to support the fire department and police department and ambulance uh, on scene and with whatever they needed. And it worked out amazing in my situation. Maybe it won't work out in every situation, um, but I was able to use every single little mini disaster to break all of my stuff and then come up with better ways of doing it. And so I got to be very innovative and very creative. And this is not just in the disaster room. You also need to do this in your personal room. Part of the wellness thing, be creative. One of the things I figured out, uh, as I was burning myself to the ground and just being so depressed and mad and like just frustrated was that I had lost a whole bunch of stuff that I used to do. I used to be very creative. I did a lot of video work. I did lots of audio work. I like to draw. Um, I like to make music, all of this stuff. And I was like, Oh, when was the last time I just like kind of sat down and read a book that was not a nonfiction, uh, you know, reference manual. And it had been a really long time. And honestly, like I basically killed the creative part of my brain. And I, when I, when I left, I remember thinking like, this is a good thing that I'm leaving because I don't think I can make this agency any better right now. Like, I just don't have the bandwidth to make it better. I'm just, doing what I have to do to get through the day. Um, I think had I sort of found a creative outlet um, where I could have, you know, thought about stuff in a different way. I mean, these these are like, this is how you get your synapses synapses firing. Like the stuff that like disconnects, like being creative and innovative is not something that, again, this is not nice to have. Like you should build this into your day. As an emergency manager, figure out maybe in every morning for an hour, you're reading a, uh, a book that is just like, kind of disconnected from your world. Um, sit and just be quiet. Like don't do stuff for like, this is like a lost art, right? Like meditating or just sitting and not thinking about anything, you know, go, uh, I, I, one thing I I figured out sort of towards the tail end start and it helped was I'm not a like prisoner, right? I can leave my office. There's like, no one's going to stop me. And so I started walking, uh, downtown and uh, I would sit in the downtown Burlington and just kind of like hang out and people watch on my lunch, like just sit there, you know, it was fun. It was nice. It was nice to get outside. And uh, you know, if I needed to be back, I could be back very quickly. Um, But I would just kind of sit there and vegetate relax. Uh, And then I'd go back and I was fully recharged for the afternoon and I would get a whole bunch of stuff right after lunch. Lunch is usually when you're dead and it's because you're like, haven't left your office. so find that creative outlet, whatever it is, um, and being innovative is also again it's a way of s- standing out. Um, think of solutions in innovative ways. So, for instance, are you good at public speaking? If you're not, take a comedy class, take an improv class. Like put yourself in a situation that you've never been in before, um, where you have to be creative and 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 thoughtful and sort of think on your feet. Um, that's a skill set that uh, I, I know I've talked about this probably ad nauseum at this point but stand up comedy made me have, probably was the best professional development that I ever did um because I can sit here and talk to a camera for 45 minutes uh about uh you know stuff that <laughs> I I've I've prepared I did prepare I actually took lots of notes and I I put a slideshow together which I hope you all appreciate um, but a lot of this is just like, uh, you know, I'm, I'm thinking on the fly as I'm talking about this stuff. And that is a skill set that you develop in standup comedy. Um, and then framing is another thing that I think is, uh, really, really important when you're talking about stuff is like being able to sort of frame a situation for your audience. Um, and lead, to, I, I actually kind of jumped the gun on this one. So the number one skill, uh, communicate it's like, almost everything that we do is communication to to some degree, right? Like when you're doing presentations on life safety skills, that's communicating when you're networking, that's communicating when you're on the radio, that's communicating, being able to communicate. Um, uh, you know, I'll, I'll give a shout out to, uh, Prescott, uh, my buddy, who's a PIO. Um, and, uh, he's been on a couple podcasts. I think he was on John's not all that long ago. Um, Prescott Nadu, Um, he, uh, uses this term right message, right format, right audience, like, you know, uh, right time. Like these are, these are, I'm sure it's a PIO term, but like he really like hits home, like communicate in the way that your audience is going to receive it. Um, and so that means like being able to do uh, graphic design. Like <laughs> this is, I can't tell you how many emergency management documents look like this drawing. And for those of you who can't see it, just Google graphic design is my passion and you will see a whole bunch of these examples. But, um, don't use this the like understand design elements it's so important um you know one of the things that like uh john scardina the ceo of this company uh doberman emergency management you know sort of talks about is like we're almost a design company that does emergency management it's so like we lean into it so much because it's so important um cause it conveys, uh, authority. It conveys professionalism. It, it clearly communicates when you, when you can clearly communicate information, um, that wins. Uh, there was a recent, uh, so I've been working with, a my local school district as a volunteer and, um, I was going through a bunch of the state documents and there's this poster that they have for, um, I think it's like one of those posters to say like, you know, call this number it's 100% anonymous and you can report a, um, you know, a threat or some sort of like life safety thing. And there's no consequence. Like this is just a a tip line. Um, and the poster was unreadable. And I was like, I know from, because I have a, a design background that if I were to print that out, it would be even more unreadable. If I can't read it on my screen in a printed format, it's useless. Um, the fonts were terrible. The color combination was like terrible. There was no contrast. So visually it stinks, but You also have to remember, like you are responsible for communicating to all of your constituents, which means that you have people who are going to have uh, ways that they are taking in information that if you are neglecting them, you are failing as an emergency manager. So somebody is colorblind, like and you're not designing to have like high contrast so that you can help folks out to see this stuff or or looking at other mediums because not everyone can, you know, see or hear a hundred percent or at all. Um, so how do you communicate with those audiences? Uh, how do you communicate with neurodiverse folks who are going to interpret data differently than, you know, maybe uh, you or I? Um, and how do, you, how do you do that? You, you talk to these folks, you know, bring them into the planning process um, and ask them when I'm communicating this important information, how do you, what's the best way for you to receive this? Um, you, again, you don't have to be the expert at anything. Uh, and this is, I'm going to tie this all in, use your network, right? Like you should be building a, a diverse, um, network so that you can, uh, you know, have someone to call for any situation. Um, you know, so again, communication is everything that you're doing. Like all of your mass notification, you want to like emergency managers, like if you want to pat yourself on the back and say that you, you have helped, you know, keep people alive, you're probably going to be doing that through your mass notification system, um, or by providing really important information to folks so that they can make their own, uh, decisions. And the way that you're going to do that is by being really, really good at communicating and understanding that, um, how, how your message comes across through different mediums. Um, I'll give you a really good example. So when Hurricane Irene, uh, Tropical Storm Irene hit Vermont, um, a lot like Vermont had basically limited, uh, broadband cable access, right? Like there was just a lot of people didn't have internet and a lot of people still don't have internet. And one of the things that I remember seeing, uh, early on was, you know, the state's trying to get this information out, uh, life-saving information, um, as well as like information to like safeguard the environment and your property and roads and stuff. And it wasn't reaching the audiences cause they had no way of getting it. There was no TV, uh, there was no, you know, maybe there was radio if they had a radio, but they, there was no internet in a lot of places because it had been destroyed. Uh, the infrastructure was down. And so towns got smart and they were like, Oh, well we will just start to post this on the cork boards outside of our general stores. Cause everyone's going to the general store. Cause they need to, uh, you know, get their food and, and milk and bread and all that other stuff that you get in a disaster, and. Uh, because people had nothing else. They were, I mean, in some communities, they were completely cut off and stranded. They could go down to the cork board and they were reading what was there. And there was uh, information on how to get help, what numbers to reach, um, when the meetings were going to be. Um, and that was the other thing, like public meetings, like, uh, you know, you have people that are not comfortable being online. Um, and sometimes like getting them into a room and talking to them like a human being, uh, is the best way to do that. Um, and in fact, uh, just in general, like, don't just rely on one format. Like, you know, again, you're listening to me via audio, maybe via video. Um, and this is great. Uh, but I, I would love to talk to all of you in person, um, and sort of have these discussions and then you could sort of better understand the con- the context of what I'm talking about. Cause you can ask the questions and everything. Um, so yeah, I think that that's, that's our number one. That's, that's number one. Um, <clears throat> my voice is kind of going, otherwise I would do my like, broadcaster voice, but number one, uh, and then the bonus, uh, I think, (laughs) you know, being good at lots of stuff is also uh, that's you're, you're an emergency manager. You kind of have to be good at everything. And that means you're going to be a generalist. Um, Semper Gumby is the term that we often use. Um, and so being good at lots of things and having the tools available to do lots of things is, is good. Um, Again, be an expert in a few things, be really good at a lot of things, uh, and you will be much more valuable. I hope this is helpful. I I would be shocked if everyone made it this far. I hope you did. Uh, If you did, please like, subscribe, all of that good stuff. Um, I have upgraded my uh, recording system. I'm using a new system, uh, and I hope it helps. And uh, so give me some feedback. Did you like this episode? Are there things that you uh, would like to add to this list? I would love to know, like, what do you think your top 10 skills uh, are? Um, You know, we can add to them. So go to the comments, comment, communicate, talk to each other. Um, If you're doing this on your own podcast, you know, tag me. I want to know. And uh, yeah, so visit our site, uh, visit our sponsors, and I will see you next week.